The Everything Sequel Podcast is brought to you by Tuity Fitness and the Vegas Beer Guys. The Everything Sequel Podcast contains explicit language. Because we learned it from you, Dad. Hello and welcome to the Everything Sequel Podcast. This is the Two Jakes edition. We're still talking 1990 sequels. My name is Michael Schantz of the How Dare You Awards. Joining me, the man who needs to drop a dime, Tom Stewart of Lonesome Whistle Productions. Say hello, Tom. Thank you. Fuck you. <laughs> That was not that was uh, 1974's Jack Nicholson I was doing there. Right. Although that's uh that's an interesting point. I think uh he slips back nicely into playing Jake Giddis. I'm surprised I... given given what a big showy actor he's become. Yeah. In the interim. In the in the interim. He's it's able... one of my it's one of my major notes for this movie. Yeah. was how Remarkably well, Jack Nicholson was to a- was able to just sit in this character and calmly give give some great acting. And you know why it's surprising, right? Well, wh- because what? Well, apart from, apart from the fact that he's become a big, you know, this big showy actor. Yeah. Um, in the interim, what you know? What else came out in 1990? Which was also an actor playing a role they had last played in 1974, who was also an actor who became big and showy in the interim. The Godfather Part 3. Oh, you're right, yeah. And it's surprising because Al Pacino makes all the mistakes that you expect Jack Nicholson (laughs) to make in this movie in reviving Jake Giddies. That's right. So it's extra surprising because, you know, both... Both Nicholson and Pacino are very different actors by 1990, and and somehow Nicholson was mm-hmm. able to to recreate Jake Giddies in a way that Pacino was not able to recreate Michael Corleone. Michael Corleone, yeah, which is fascinating to me. That is fascinating, man. Nice pickup. And that's not <laughs> that's not the well only played, Godf- sir. That's not the only Godfather Part Three connection of this film. No, no, yeah, definitely not. Shall I save it, or do you want it now? Should we put up all our... We may, you can. Well... I love them. Eli Wallach is in this movie. Yeah. Eli Wallach love made him. two films in 1990. Both of them were sequels. This and The Godfather Part Three. I love he, Eli Wallach. He also may be one of the sequel Hall of Famers, because he was also in Good, the Bad, and the Ugly. Yeah, that's true. And uh, I think Prom Night Two as well. (laughs) I think that's Mike. I think I don't think so. I think that's Michael Ironside. That's Michael Ironside. I've watched Prom Night Two in the last few months. What? It's Michael Ironside. What are you doing watching Prom Night Two when we're not doing it on the show? What's wrong? Don't worry about it. (laughs) I do worry about it. I worry about you and your sanity. It's bad enough I'm going out watching Scream slash Scream 6 and Creed 3 in the same weekend when we're not it's covering very, it on the show. It's I don't want very this madness difficult. to spread. 
it's very difficult to avoid these things if they come out on like a how did this get made episode. And yeah. I think, yeah, I haven't seen that in a while. I'll go back and watch it. <laughs> but then you look at the screen. Is there a number in there? Yes. And you don't watch it. <laughs> well, I'd say we can't do prom night for another three years. <laughs> oh, yes, we can. I'm ready. All right, ladies and gentlemen, we are, in fact, talking the two Jakes. If you don't know, A, it's a 1990 sequel. Mm-hmm. B, it's a sequel to Chinatown. From 1974. This, from 1974. This movie is directed by Jack Nicholson. I've heard of him. You know him? Yeah. I think he's the star <laughs> of the movie. I, I Would you have thought that he directed more? He, uh, he's got four credits, right? He's got four credits, yeah. two of which you might know, Drive, He Said, and Going South. Yeah. And a segment of a Roger Corman movie, which he's right. not technically credited on, but I think Corman gave him the reins. Mm-hmm. Now, I don't know which, if we've referenced sounds, this. I don't know. That sounds convincing to me. That sounds like something Roger Corman would do. Yeah, <laughs> Just randomly right. give one of his actors a chance to direct the movie. Absolutely. He did it with Ron Howard. That worked out. Yeah. Uh, I don't know if we talked about this in our sort of revisit of the requel and the franchise <laughs> debate episode, but we we might that have given makes some. It sound much grander than. <laughs> that makes it sound like a kind of it's like a CNN marquee event. Well, did we talk at all about about this movie catching a lot of shit when it first came out? I think we alluded to it. I I, I had a lot of trepidate. Okay. I had a lot of trepidation going back to it because it's all. I've seen it a few times and it's always been a disappointment to me. All right. And I always. Well, I always. I always feel like this time <laughs> I'm going to see something. It'll be better. I didn't see before, and it's not happened up to this point. I'm not okay. saying it didn't happen this time yet. All right. But historically. It is. It has been a disappointment. Well, the money for this movie bears that out. Budget of nineteen million, opening weekend three point seven in the USA and the world ten million dollars, but on Rotten Tomatoes sixty eight percent. Okay. Of critics like this movie, and that's a pretty big number for a movie that I remember as being panned. Is that? Do you think that's retrospective? Hmm. Good I mean, I always, I, feel, I always feel with early 90s movies, we didn't know what we had. That's true. Maybe. We're starting to realize, at least in terms of storytelling, what we had. Yeah. Like, this is... A... There certainly is a narrative that the two Jakes doesn't live up to Chinatown. Sure. But that's... Yeah, exactly. It, it, sure. It... <laughs> no, it... it... It kind of, it makes a rod for its own back, I think, because it is desperate to be seen as a sequel to Chinatown rather than a a new case for Jake Gillies. Yeah. It sort of makes that call early. It could have gone two ways, right? This could just be a totally different... Just could just be a, a totally case. different thing. Like the right. detective character can be the continuity, but uh, early on in this but movie, this movie does call. make a choice to connect. Yeah, and so that invites comparison, which this movie is 
is never going to favor this movie. Right. Having said that, I remember seeing this movie when it came out. I was working at a movie theater when this movie came out. I thought it was... I remember just sort of dismissing it at the time. Yeah, I've always dismissed it. And like, and like you said, being disappointed. Less so on this watch. Yeah, much less so. To let the cat out of the bag. This is a... Cats, well, cats out maybe of, we should save that cats part out of the conversation. Of, to, to, but... to, to borrow a, a phrase from an earlier film noir, the cat's out of the river and, and <laughs> out of the bag. There you go. Because I... I don't know why, but I was sort of reveling in this film Mm -hmm. for a lot of different reasons. Not to say I don't have issues with it. Sure, yeah. I think think it's fundamentally flawed, but I... Do you mean by, well, is the fundamental nature of that the choice they make to connect it so directly to Chinatown or is it something else? Yeah, yeah, not so much that. I think I think I think they just overcompensate f- when it comes to that. Mm. So I think I think they don't realize that 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 they're making a sequel to Chinatown anyway and there's a lot of that's they they're so desperate to attack to find some find ways to link it to the original movie that mm-hmm. they go way overboard. And they, like, there's there's just one narr- there's one storyline you just need to follow, in right. order for this to, to continue on from, from Chinatown. And there's about three or four different ones, that they introduce, which we don't need. Mm. So that's the fundamental flaw of it. Some of the execution is not great, but. So you mean much- in his directing? I'm ambivalent about that. I think he has strengths and weaknesses as a director for, in this movie. Mm-hmm. I think uh, photographically, excellent, this movie. Yeah, I thought the same thing. I, thought... Not a, I don't think he's a great visual storyteller. I think he gets in his own Not way. Not that, but I think he... Yeah. I, it's it it's ends, clear it ends that up, he understands yeah. what oh, a movie is. Some of the location photography in this movie is stunning. Yeah, right. Yeah. He understands light. He understands color, and I think that's really difficult to do with, with the LA noir. Because as I'm watching this, I'm like, yeah, I, I, reminding me, when you do, when you do a noir, the set in LA, basically it's like a daytime film in a traditionally nighttime genre. Yeah, you've got to reconcile that contradiction and pictorially beautifully done i mean some of the some of the shots and some of the tableaus in this movie are out of this world but i feel like when it comes to visual storytelling he gets in his own way and it just becomes confusing he makes a lot of choice a lot of choices that don't make that seem to only make sense in his mind as a director and it doesn't translate to the audience i think sometimes Mm. but Given given that he's not a very experienced director, I think yeah, I right. Think he's I think it's very impressive. You, can you think of a specific example of that? Yes, um, I don't understand the rationale of hiding the faces of different women in this film. I understand yeah, okay. why he's doing. That's one of my notes. I understand why he's doing it with Kitty because, of course, you know that you have to 
you have that's to, a reveal. You have to suspend disbelief that Jake doesn't recognize that she's Catherine earlier in the movie, but right. Wyatt does it with his girlfriend until we until we see her. Until we see her, I think it's it, jarring. I, yeah, and in and in J- and Jack Nicholson's mind, I think he's thinking that you know. Uh, the audience might be thinking that she's Catherine or, but that makes even less. Like, I just think it's confusing. See, I, I kind of chalked it up to, I think he thinks this is what noir is. Well, there's a lot of that. Yeah. Particularly. And, and the biggest culprit is the voiceover. That is a fundamental. I was going to, that's one of my questions for you. It's a fundamental misunderstanding of how voiceover is used in film noir in this film. Do you not like it then? Is what you're saying? Oh, you take it all out without any loss. Because I felt the same way, and yet I liked some of the the dialogue in it. I liked some of the. It's totally phrasing. extraneous. It is. It's at completely very, extraneous. But, at, but that's not none of that, it's necessary. But it, none it should of it, be. Yeah, and it yeah. is in, in in film noir proper. It is. Mm-hmm. It's a misremembering of how it's it's it like. They remember. They felt of, very Blade Runner. Right. That exactly. And the Blade, same problem in Blade Runner. They remember that it's a. It's an. That it's. They think that it's a device. It's a for convention atmosphere, for atmosphere. Right. Right. For extra color. Um. And you know to get the you know be, to get the sort of feel of the hard boiled language. Mm-hmm. And originally, Noir did not use it for that purpose. It was simply a storytelling device. And only ever used in flashback, by the way. Mm. Only ever u- used to give you narrative information. Because Hollywood in that era, that's all you did. There was mm-hmm. no information on screen that wasn't narratively relevant. Yes, right, right. And all this voiceover is is needless either reiteration or information that we can pick up visually. More than clear in what we see on screen. No, absolutely. I mean... It, like, as a as as if as if like the we want you want to know Jake's inner thoughts and feelings. He you see it in his performance. Yeah, right. It's all there. That's so true. I don't I don't know if it's an insecure if it's like an insecurity thing, but it can. I don't all know. That's that. I think I think he thinks it belongs there. Yeah, and exactly. like I said, have knowing that it's completely unnecessary yeah. there's still lots of stuff i like i like i like the writing i guess i wish there was another way to bring it in but i like him talking I, about it's very soft boiled yeah it's it's un, it's not I even like soft that. boiled it's uh, no it's not even soft boiled it's like undercooked the it's three a, things uh, i egg. can't i can't remember what the three things were i missed one of them but he, like you can follow your hunch and you'll get you know hurt you could follow the money and that'll find you'll you, then you'll find the truth yeah i kind of like that those, but, and, those and then flourishes the, in the writing and then the other <laughs> the other redundancy of it is it usually it usually accompanies an establishing shot of a scene and then jake will get out of a car and then he'll have yeah. a conversation to explain with the person he's to ex- seeing right, to explain right. where he is where he goes over exactly the same information so like yeah. it's it's redundant on a number of levels and it didn't There's belong. that one when he it talks. It didn't belong like, in the original Chinatown, and it doesn't belong here. Yeah, okay. You're right. But, um, and there's something interesting about this movie. Like, I don't know how much you or the listeners know about the production 
circumstances of the original Chinatown. Well, but it's well oh, known. Okay. It's well known that um, Robert Town wrote a screenplay that Polanski um, ripped to shreds. Mm-hmm. And here, Robert Town is once again writing the screenplay. And I think he thinks it's a bit of a do-over. It's a chance to sort of make Chinatown without the interference from Polanski. Mm-hmm. And I see a number of areas where in Chinatown, <laughs> Polanski would have intervened and it would have yeah, been better right. for the movie. <laughs> you, you, you could be right about that. I also know... Well, I think you and I talked about this off mic, about the this was a you know a planned trilogy. Yes, that's right. We talked but about it tr- on mic as well. Oh, did we? On and with mic. Okay. But the the, the the troubled nature of this particular movie yeah. bagged that forever. But I like that idea of revisiting this character. Yes. Water, oil, smog, th- or freeways for the third one. Oh, I see, yeah. As a framing device, you know? Yeah. And, and each I, one would I, yeah. be about 11 years apart. I mean, we just talked about this with Three Men and a Little Lady. Yeah. It's a it's a great inroad for a sequel to wait a few years. Yeah. You got a kid, you you know, three men and a baby, a little lady, a bride. That was a plan that didn't happen, so now it's a single sequel. But that's the same idea here. There's yeah. a correlation. There's a there's a correlation and and this this uh this sequel is picking up on something that we've we've talked about that, that sequels don't often do but we've seen it a lot recently with the the omen films and then three three men and a little lady they're using the passage of time to tell a different story to show mm-hmm. how things have changed and in this one it's not necessarily character based jake giddis hasn't really changed as a character weirdly war has not doesn't seem to have affected him yeah. um, but the times that that he's in have changed significantly and Mm-hmm. There's a lot in this movie, a lot of really interesting stuff, especially if you know if you're an American historian as I am, um, about uh, the the how you know the suburban housing projects of the post-war period. Yeah, the discrim- discriminatory housing policies within that. Um, you know the the transformation of land into suburbs. Mm-hmm. They get a lot of mileage out of that in this film. Of just just where they choose to place it historically. Like sure, you go, right. You, you're going back to exactly the same places that were in Chinatown. But this Yeah. They look they look different. And but they look different, different because the city has changed, yeah. yeah. And there's a new land scam, right? The the land scam Right, in, exactly, yes, in the, exactly. In the first one is water, in this one it's uh housing. And oil. Amazing. Well, the yeah, the oil feels a bit tacked on. That's one of your problems. I felt like they could have got more mileage out of somebody as great as Richard Farnsworth. <laughs> For sure, yes. Yeah. Well, and again, I, like I feel this is what one. I think they're trying to stick so closely to the blueprint of Chinatown sometimes. That yeah, they miss a lot, right. of, lot of opportunities to develop beyond that, mm-hmm. and the Richard Farnsworth scene is so clearly supposed to be like another Noah Cross, yeah, type a surrogate for Noah Cross that we lose what Farnsworth might have brought to it that could have been different and interesting. Mm-hmm. 
Now, at the top of this movie, what do you make of this? Because uh, we recently on the Patreon have done two Psycho films. Yeah. And we have this pan out on the eye of a camera. Oh, sure. Well, firstly, I mean... Over the, credits. I thought you were going to mention the Paramount logo, which is... That's uh, true, yes. Also sepia here, mm-hmm. which is sort of like a halfway house from the original Chinatown where they they just they just put up the original 30s Paramount logo. Yeah. But for this one, it's kind of an accommodation of what the new Paramount logo is with some sepia put on it. With some, effect. yeah. Um, that's, yeah, so, I mean, you know... Uh, it's, just, it's starting with Nicholson moving behind the camera. Yeah, right. It's clear, you know, the shift from the star to to actor director is made clear in this image. You know, it's 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 this like now Nicholson's behind the camera; he's not just in front of it. And it's you know, it's Love funny it. you say that because it's only occurring to me now. You know, he's only got two other movies under his belt and it's been a long time since the man directed he must have had a lot writing on this movie so to be the financial failure that it was you know Mm. obviously it didn't hurt his acting career but this is his last movie and I wonder if it was you know this movie had some troubles with the shooting and with its Mm -hmm. producer and you know there was a lot of shit going on behind the scenes uh, so I wonder if it's that, or was he in the penalty box as a director after well, this movie? Especially like having come off one of the biggest roles ever in the previous year. Yeah. Um, it's... which we'll talk about at some point soon. Yeah, we'll talk about <laughs> before the end of this movie. There's a little <laughs> Batman reunion in here. That's um... true. <laughs> Yeah, I, I, yes, I think you know it's uh, it's definitely making that point that he's the director now. Mm-hmm. And then this is where I thought Robert Towns saw this as a do-over. Same opening scene as Chinatown. Mm. Same exact setup. Yeah, I have um, the same note. So there's it's a reenactment of Chinatown as well as a sequel to it. I think. Um, And then, I mean, most obviously in this opening scene, the two Jakes opens with two Jakes talking about being two Jakes. Exactly. I I know. I wrote it down, too. I said, man, this movie didn't take long. I mean, there's Tay in the title in the movie, and then there's this. Yeah. (laughs) And there's doing it three times in succession. (laughs) And then, then it, I, it's something that happened in this opening scene, or not not in the opening scene, but in the opening few scenes that reminded me that this was a much more conventional screenplay than the one for Chinatown. Yeah, yeah, it's I the, thought the, the same it's thing. Like we have a shooting very early on in the movie, and it it, it mm-hmm. feels like a producer's note. It's like let's have an exciting incident on page three. Right, right. And I, like I haven't watched Chinatown in a while, but I suspect if you were to compare them, that inciting incident's probably on page ten or something. You know, like it, <laughs> because it's made Wait by a, a bit. Euro- it's made by a European. Um, right. <laughs> uh, so I thought I felt like there was a lot of action up front, and this. No, has, yeah, absolutely. And like throughout this, this feels more like an action movie than uh, than Chinatown. It's definitely picked up on some for of sure. That. You know, in the way that we've seen, like, 
Superman riffing off the di- disaster movies of the time. Mm-hmm. I feel like this riffs off, riffs off some of the action movies of this period. Yeah, I, yeah, that makes sense. I mean, we have at least two explosions. <laughs> yes, to we got more than one. And we also have Harvey Keitel. Yeah. Who and the studio tried to bag. Oh. They did not want him in this movie. It's a very inauspicious opening for him. It is. And it's only after a certain period of time you realize that that's, that's deliberate, that that's part of the storyline, that he's mm-hmm. he's he's um, playing a part yeah. in these scenes. I mean, that... that but know, I can't have helped that if the studio's pretty... already... Uh, if the right. studios are trying to get rid of him, they saw the rushes for these opening scenes. They were like, Oof. They should have shot the last scene first. This, this this guy's forgotten how to act. You know, they, yeah, they, exactly. I was going to say, the last, the, the final he's scene. He's fucking bringing tell. it in that scene. Well, that's the only reason why you would cast an actor this good to play this role. Oh, it's my the only, God. It's the only time his acting chops can. It is the, the Harvey Keitel movie. show by then. Yeah. It's fucking great. But, I mean... And this is where I think, you know, Nicholson, the storyteller, is, is a little bit lacking. But this is interesting to me, even just this, I, sorry to interrupt, but no. it's interesting to me, you know, the narrative, the characters talking to each other, this idea of him practicing walking in on his wife. Yeah, I just don't think it establishes the, it said, this is actually exactly what I was going to say. I don't think this opening scene establishes the stakes and the situation particularly well both visually and verbally so when we get to the the second scene with the shooting i mean it's meant to be confusing right it's meant to it's meant to feel chaotic it wants to throw you for a loop yeah but i'm not really sure what's supposed to be happening that's yeah right so i don't i like it's less surprising in a way it's less it, it throws you for less of a loop because you go, I don't know how this was supposed to go, so maybe this I guess was it. I would have. I guess I would have understood it more. It seems like we're at cross purposes because I would yeah. understand it more if they weren't recording it in the office. Yeah, I couldn't figure out why they're recording they're little, his practice session. Yeah, I mean they're under the. But mis- I feel like that's there just to introduce the audience to the recorder. Oh, completely. And this you know? movie's under the misapprehension that it's a remake of the conversation. Sometimes, yeah, I think. <laughs> that's because we keep going back to this recording and, like, you know, when when you when you, where it's not as narratively central as they like to think it is, mm-hmm. you know, it's not as basically it's not as clever a premise as it is in the conversation, but the movie's treating it as if it's a, it's a, right. it's that clever, um. And, and of course, Harvey Keitel. Well, so for those listening, and if you haven't seen the movie, he's bursting into a hotel room because he knows his wife is there with mm-hmm. another man. Our hero, Giddis, played by Jack Nicholson, he thinks that. What does he think? Why are they recording it? <laughs> I mean, <laughs> they, we can so, just stop. Mike, Mike, we can just we can just stop there. You've illustrated my point better than I ever could. <laughs> we don't really know. Yeah. And it's and that's the dangerous game you play with film noir because there is way more ambi- like narrative ambiguity than there is in most traditional In most genres. films, right. Yeah. But you can there's a there's a difference between 
doing that enjoyably and playfully, like for instance, I feel the same way about this. Howard Hawks, the big sleep, for instance, uh huh, doesn't make a lick of sense, but you never, you never question, yeah, the lack of sense. But here, from right from the beginning, I'm going, what's going on? What's supposed to happen? What did happen? Because in that room, I feel the same way as I do about the office. We get that he wants to confront. I guess it's because I okay. I I'll I'll backtrack. Narratively, I guess it makes sense because if they're going to go to divorce court, which is yeah. what Jack Nicholson thinks is happening, yes. he can have a tape of it. Mm-hmm. But I don't think the movie quite no. explains to no, us enough about no. about Keitel yeah. not knowing that there would be a recording of it, at least in the eyes of his wife. And it doesn't matter because what he does anyway is blows away the guy that she's yeah. sleeping with. And that is and the springboard the for the... Anyway. And it's a setup Yeah, exactly. So... Yeah, I mean, were I Roman Polanski, I might have excised everything before the shooting to start with it. Mm-hmm. If nothing before it explains why the scene is happening, we can lose it. Right. Yeah. Um... Cut off your nose. Feed it to to my goldfish. Speaking of that, (laughs) I just want to mention quickly. Yeah. You don't see it often, but there are a few moments where the light hits Jack Nicholson just right. Yeah. Where you can see the scar on his nose. Oh, really? No, I didn't notice that. And I fucking love that about this movie. It doesn't surprise me, though, that the the level of detail in the production design of this movie, some of the later on in the movie, some of the show homes... Mm-hmm. Uh, if you focus in on the background of those, there's some incredible details. Yeah, like the there's there's a there's a sewing wheel with a not included sign on it. Yeah, right. And you know, it's like again, it goes back to an era of filmmaking where there was there was more attention to detail. Right. Like production design was more of an art form. <laughs> anyway, um, and I'm just I look interested in where this movie. St- stands historically not when the movie's set but when the movie's made because mm-hmm. chinatown was an early film uh, early neo-noir yeah because the renaissance of film noir didn't really get going to the 80s and 90s and so the two jakes almost feels like it's trying to reclaim some the territory and it's sort of like oh like, yeah hey you know a, those yeah. neo-noir movies you're making well we started this mm-hmm. so we want a piece of this pie Right, <laughs> and I think it's fascinating. But uh, you know, from this point onwards, all the significant neo noir movies will be made: the Red Rock Wests and the Last Seductions, the Hot Spot. Sure, it'll be a, a a deluge of them throughout the the first half of the nineties. So, yeah, this is on the cusp of another, like a second wave, that was mm-hmm. even more significant than the the one that Chinatown started. So I think it's fa- yeah, I think, it, I think it's fascinating that that this is when they choose to make. The sequel. This movie. Because it make when you put it in that context, it makes more sense. Because otherwise, you're like, why did you wait 16 years? <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. that's the other thing. Because I think. But it's it supposed the movie. to be. A, isn't it supposed to be 11 years within the story? But they it was 16 years in reality? It's 48. Um, I, I think, yes, I think 30, 39, 40. In... Okay. In Chinatown, I can't remember. All right. Um, yeah, I'd have to look that back up. But it's relatively close. Mm-hmm. 
And all, basically what you need to do historically is get past World War Two. Yeah. And they do that and you know, it's and you know, all the way up to when I'm watching this film, thinking this is laying the groundwork for LA Confidential, which is like six mm-hmm. years later. I thought the same thing. The yeah. world that they're creating. I mean, you got to think that Curtis Hansen took notes from this movie on how to build. Had seen that, it. Yeah, how to build that post-war America, like end of the '40s, looking into the '50s. I mean, that's set in like '52, sure. but. We're in the same. We're definitely in the same range of time, and it looks very similar. Absolutely. Speaking of taking your time, <laughs> I think that might also be a problem with this movie. Yeah. We've got a, some scenes have just got to cut to the chase a little earlier. Absolutely. Effects. Again, I feel like that's a Polanski cut. I don't remember this. I don't remember scenes in Chinatown going on, outstaying their welcome the way that the scenes here do. Right. I mean, well, are you, I know you're talking about when he visits homicide. Yeah. Cause there's a Drags lot. On. It, there's a lot happening over a long period of time, but none of it is pertinent to, yeah. you know, I kept, I kept saying to myself is, is, uh, what's his name? David Keith mm-hmm. is, is, is that character like the son of somebody yeah. from the original? Is the that guy, what's going on? Son of the cop who shot, Okay, then that okay, then that makes sense. Which, which comes out, which explains why he's so weird around it. But at first, I couldn't quite. And, and no, you know, this the movie kind of this movie all, has a new, fetish it, with that kind of thing where yeah. we, you know, we're gonna see James Hong, we're gonna not see but reference by name the character of Burt Young from the first movie, and even from the opening scene, we've got, you know, Jake's associate. Played by the same, yeah. same same actor, same character. Right, right. Although Bruce Glover did not come back. Which mm. means that's two sequels that t- two different members of the Glover family did not return for. <laughs> and if it, if it had been one year earlier, it would have been in the same year. All right. And yet I had this sense that that must have been what it was, but I spent, you know, it's funny they, that... They explain it later. Do they? I don't remember. Yeah, it comes out later, but... When they fight? When he sticks the gun in his mouth? Because yep. oh, wow. es- Escobar makes a specific reference to that. I mean, you know, it... it okay. And it's... The the problem with it is it's not, not, it's not established well. It's not explained well when they do get around to explaining it. Yeah, and right. You, and more importantly, you don't need it at all. There's right. enough in this movie to connect this to Chinatown without having the son of the guy who shot Faye Dunaway. And the funny yes. part is, is like that first police precinct scene goes on so long. And and I remember by the end of it, my note was absolutely nothing happened. But I'm almost glad that it was that long because it took me that long to try and think and figure out <laughs> the connection between this character and a, the it, character in the last movie. But, it you know, and it's, it's puzzling. You know, and I, some like they feel like they have to bring certain characters back without really knowing why they're doing it. Why and yeah, right. Like Lou, Lou you know, when when Lou Escobar is introduced and he's got the war wound, I'm thinking, okay, this mm-hmm. is an interesting return to this character. He'll have a new dimension now, and and that doesn't go Not anywhere. Not really. Yeah. No. And he's sort of he's a referee for 
between you know uh, some points between Jack Nicholson. It does and, uh, seem at times he's a referee, but then at other like toward as the movie yeah. goes on, he feels like a more of a direct antagonist. They also don't they don't do anything with James Hong and he no. seems to be playing yeah. a different character from yes from the one he plays in uh, the Khan that he plays in Chinatown. Right. You also, you also don't need the letter from Faye Dunaway that she could have never possibly written. Yeah, right. In the time frame of the original movie. <laughs> she did not have time to stop and write a letter when all that shit was going down. <laughs> so it's these weird... Because, because, you know, spoiler alert, this movie's about Catherine Mulray. Yeah. Which makes total sense because she's introduced in the last minutes of Chinatown. So, of course, a sequel would pick up her story. Mm-hmm. And that's all you need. Yeah, right. You base your entire... But, the, you know, they, they make... They go to such lengths to involve Escobar, have the son mm-hmm. of the guy who shot Faye Dunaway. They rope in the archive clerk from the original movie. Um, mm-hmm. yeah. And then you're just like, that's a huge coincidence that he is also involved in this, in two generations of Mulray, right. like detective stories. <laughs> <laughs> so it's stuff like that that, but at this point, you're sort of blissfully unaware yeah, so this right, is anything right. but a new case, right? This is before yeah. we hear her name on the on, on the, the wire recording. Um, and then we get the introduction of Madeline Stowe. I was going to say, we're about to meet Madeline Stowe. Why don't we take a break and come on back? Did you see that um, that show Revenge? ABC show? Yeah, maybe a few episodes. But there's also a revenge with her and Kevin Costner and Anthony Quinn. Really? Around she, this time, a movie. Because wow. she's in yeah. she's in a TV series called Revenge. And all I remember about it is that she'd had so much Botox, she couldn't move her face. So uh, you have no idea what she's she's thinking throughout the entirety of the series. Her face <laughs> is completely paralyzed. Anyway. Well, I, I feel like she might be feeling too much in this movie. But we'll get back to that right after this deep does the coronavirus have you feeling oogie have you been sitting on your couch for weeks nay have you been sitting on there for months well it's time for you to get back in shape check out to a t fitness you can find them on instagram you can find them on facebook to a T Fitness was started by Tina Bernard. She is ready and raring to go to help you get back into the shape you want to get into. They've got all kinds of classes. They've got outdoor in-person classes. They've got online classes if that's what you prefer. Ladies and gentlemen, it's time to get back in shape. You're going to find a variety of exercises. You're going to have strength training, cardio, weightlifting, even fun five-minute burnouts that will push you to your limits. So get off the couch, get into shape. Go ahead and check out Tua T Fitness. Tina Bernard has got you for all your needs. I know her personally. She's fantastic. You're not going to meet a better person to help you become the new you. Check it out. And we're back. Tom and I are trying to sort out the case of the two Jakes. A 1990 film directed by Jack Nicholson. Well, like we said when we were going out uh, to break, Tom, we meet 
Madeline Stowe. Right. Along with some fairly commonplace anti-Semitism. Sure. Didn't care for that. Didn't care for that. Although, you know, it's referred to as such. Yeah. And, you know, the, uh, Harvey Keitel's already had the... Has he already had the... Or is it coming up where he talks about how he can sell these houses, but no one would let him live in one? I think that's much later. Isn't that at the, yeah. the last... The last Anti-Semitism but... is a theme, but, but yeah. Yeah. Um, like this, this sort of segregation of the time. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it's. I mean, this is sort of probably my biggest problem of the whole movie. Like violence to women is authentic to crime fiction of this, sure of this type. It's in the it's in the films. It's in the literature. They're still incredibly cavalier about it in this film, and and it all seems to be directed at Madeline Stowe, who becomes this punching and raping bag. Yeah. And it's disgusting. It's just. There's a really, really ugly scene with her. Not this particular scene, but a little bit later. Well, she still gets punched out at the end of it, though. Yeah. Um, play, yeah, played for comedy. Yeah. And it's, yeah, it's 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 straight. I mean, it's a strange character anyway because she comes in kicking and screaming and smash. First thing you see is just smashing everything up. Yeah. Um. And she's the wife of the man who was shot. Right. That Kaitel killed. Mm-hmm. So it's the beginning of a disturbing trend in the movie. But, it, you know, it's one of those things where, I mean, obviously we're going to talk about this movie, but we can't talk about every scene in this movie because there's over 4,000 scenes in this movie. <laughs> <laughs> and the movie, you know. Yeah. It's, Robert Town needs a script editor. Yeah. And, and I think he got a good, a good, he got one a good back one in '74 and, and didn't right. know what he had. <laughs> as as troubling as it was to him, yeah, as troubling as that man was, <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> and this is one of those moments where the movie bumps along, where mm-hmm. you know she's going to be in the office, then we're going to take her home, then she's a problem at home, so then Jack goes to her home. We'll yeah. get a clue to a character that we're going to connect to later you know shit like that but none of it's yeah, terribly so, important except for the Catherine Mulray reveal because this is does Madeline Stone talk he, about that no he hears it on the wire recording yeah 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 but that's after is that I also, yeah well he doesn't listen to that when he gets back from her place yes that's right he does okay um, yeah, I have the same note here. It's unclear what's going on or who wants what. Mm-hmm. But you expect every... some of that from a you know a noir, right? You do, but you've got to be on top of it. Mm-hmm. And I don't think this movie's on top of it. Okay. I think I think when they they write themselves into a corner and then they have an earthquake. Yeah. <laughs> yes. <laughs> or what do they call it in the movie? A temp templar, trem. Tre- they have a specific. They have a nickname for it. Oh, did they? Tre- a tremble? It's not a tre- it's a not a or trembler, a, it's uh, like a templar anyway. Um A Knight's Templar? I like a lot of the production detail in this, but ne- if that's supposed to be sweat on Jack Nicholson's face, next time they should start at the top and work down. Yeah. <laughs> it's 
chin is dripping with sweat and there's nothing yeah. bel- b- b- above his eyebrows. <laughs> and then, you know, they do some, like, detective stuff that's a little bit shticky the, for my taste, like the, the shoe. magnifying glass. Yes. The shoe, yes, and the magnifying the, the glass. The dirt on the shoe and the magnifying glass. Yeah. I had that note. Uh, then, of course, we get, like, why can't we see Jake's girlfriend's face? Is that going to mean something? And <laughs> right. it never does. I kept thinking, uh, is yeah. it, the, is, you know, because she, she ends up looking remarkably like her, too. The woman in Batman, who he disfigures, yeah. and she has to hide her face, <laughs> you know? I thought it was the same person. Yeah, and he seems, you're right, Jan Nicholson seems fixated as a director on loose change in shoes. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you think it's going to go somewhere, and it never does. Yeah. It, they're just aesthetic choices. Well, it's funny, because, like, I mean... It's like what what he finds yeah. interesting visually What he in finds shop, interesting, because really. yeah. we start this movie... Well, we start after the after the credits. You know, we get his the view of his shoe yeah. obscuring Harvey Keitel, Harvey Cartel, and it, it seems to be that like you're saying something about the man. Mm-hmm. That he's... but. But it also gives the wrong impression of him because he's not as laid back or mm-hmm. as, I don't know if you could consider it unprofessional. You know, he, he is really good at his job. Yeah. And so that fixation on the shoes, at, one of my notes was, are we saying something about the man? I can't remember if that's the Giddis I know. Is this who he's become? Right. And then later I have to, I just conclude, okay, so that's just a thing he likes, shoes. So, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's it's all aesthetic. It's, yeah, there's, there's nothing, it's just aesthetic. It's all, um, what do you call it? Uh, kitsch. Mm-hmm. Now nothing, the moments in these movies underneath. that I do like are I like like there's some time right after this where, uh, he goes to see Kaitel at that model home. Yeah, and he's basically really just telling him, "You're gonna tell me this, or I'm gonna prove you murdered your wife." Mm-hmm. And those are the moments in a noir that I like. Yeah. Because there feels like there's some danger, but... This is where he's driving through the um, the locations from, from the, Chinatown. The first right? movie, yeah. And then finds Kaitel in the middle of basically the orange groves. Yeah, Chinatown, exactly. Because yeah. now they're track homes. Or they will but be. He's build- and Kaitel's building... So it's it's kind of interesting because you've uh, by this point you've heard Catherine Mulray, but you don't know whether that is a a red herring. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Um, so and they keep point, you on that could, hook it, for a while, where you yeah you don't realize for, for obviously a long time that she's gonna be as prominent as she is. And in these Kaitel scenes, you sort of suspect that the the connection might be thematic, that it might just be right what is now being done with the land that we saw in mm-hmm. the original movie. Because you have the, the recap footage of him. Mm-hmm. Yeah, right. Uh, getting shot getting, at and getting shot. Uh, is that before or after the explosion? Before the right explosion. before, yeah. And it's actually it's both. We see it before, and then as it's exploding, yeah, it becomes it like becomes a, a yeah. We see more like a flashback. Um, and then we have a little conversation about discriminate discriminatory housing policies in post-war America, mm-hmm. and. Uh, which are the same as they are now, incidentally, mm-hmm. um, and and then the Joker and Bob reunite. Uh, yes, um, after, after last year's Batman. Yes, these sir. two spent a lot of time together. Right. 
in the years 1980 and 1990, 1989 and 1989. Well, and I, I, I kept, I figured he must have had a good time with him on Batman. Tracy Walter, is that his name? Yeah, Tracy Walter. Mm-hmm. Tracy Walter. I, I, so I figured they must have had a grand time on Batman because he brought him right back for this. Yeah. You know? It's also interesting that, you know, we there's the Prince connect. We just did Graffiti Bridge, and there's the Prince connection to Batman. There's mm-hmm. Nicholson's connection to Batman, but there's also Nicholson's connection to Prince because they're both directors with only a handful of film credits. Yeah, you're right. Who are known for doing something else, and they were both involved in Batman. Um, and then 1990 never ceases to surprise Tom. Yeah. And 1990, they're both actor directors in, in, in their movies. Yeah. Uh, Oh, it never ceases to surprise now. What it also is also a surprise to me that, that, uh, also that no one's cottoned onto the, um, the business side of this. They seem to be making Lacroix under, LaCroix, so cool. LaCroix under the ground. Oh, yeah. It's like sparkling water, like mm-hmm. carbonated water. Yeah. I'm so surprised no one's just like, well, why don't we just sell it? Call it, call it LaCroix. <laughs> <laughs> but, you you know, the th- water's back on the table, right? Thematically. Yes. <laughs> you know, uh, the, one of the, I don't know if you saw the offer, the miniseries about the uh, making of The Godfather. I haven't watched it yet. It's not great, but there is there's a one scene uh, with Robert Evans, who is that's a great performance. Mm. The guy who plays Robert Robert Evans, Matthew Marsden, I think is his name. No, not Matthew Marsden. He's from Rocky. He's from Rambo. Um, <laughs> Matthew something. But he's a great Robert Evans, and he's pit, pitching, uh, trying to pitch Chinatown to his bosses while high on drugs, <laughs> <laughs> and he just keeps going. It's Nicholson and water. <laughs> <laughs> so I was like, I was That's like, great. I, I, when, when I saw this, I was like, it's Nicholson and water. <laughs> and he go. It's interesting. Like he goes around t- telling people, I used to know the people that own this. Yeah. Um, and it's like the nostalgia for the original is being expressed in the nostalgia yeah, of right, the characters. Yeah. Which is where that passage of time actually works quite well for you. Brooks, yeah, you right. Uh, and then we get a little explosion. <laughs> more, yeah. So more than a little explosion. More than a little. It's uh, one of those moments in this film where I thought to myself, it, it doesn't happen a lot. Because I think Nicholson can be. I don't know if deft is the right word, but I think he knows where to place a camera. Oh, definitely. Yeah. And when this explosion happens, I wasn't sure if he knew where to place the no. camera. <laughs> because it's a genre he, you know, he's not exploring the action film genre. Right. You know, he's not, uh, he's not Jan de Bont. <laughs> yeah, right. Someone like that. He doesn't. So it makes sense that this would be a little, uh, a little above his pay grade. Um, then we get the arrival of Meg Tilly and we meet film. Meg Tilly and I gotta tell you because I didn't even remember she was in this movie what the a Tilly transformation quite, too sis- yeah. I think the she's really good do, in this movie she is the Tilly sisters do a really yeah. quite a line in in film noir style mm-hmm. 
femme fatales. They do. <laughs> um, it's yeah. I think she's. I think she's great. I. I think she's perfect. Uh, she's a perfect Catherine Mulray. Mm-hmm. Um, because she's she's do, doing that great thing of sort of carrying enough of of Faye Dunaway in a performance, but also yeah. making it her own, so that it's recognized. Like it's recognizable to Jake that she's a mother's daughter, but enough for him not to notice. Yeah, up until right. a certain point, he has um, to do some James Hahn detective work first, and then we have uh, as soon as I saw him pick up that case file. Yeah, right. I knew we were. It was the gateway to a double imbass. I knew we were going to see <laughs> photographs, and I knew we were going to see newspaper clippings. I wrote down uh, revisits Mulray file imbass. Yeah, but I I wrote that note before just when he picked up the case file. It's like we're going to see photographs. Yeah, yeah, see yeah. Newspaper clippings going to be a double impasse. So that was that was predictive. Um, also, there's a little nod to the. You, you said that you can still see the scar uncertain mm-hmm. light. Um, they make a point of putting some gauze in his nose after the yeah, explosion, right. which is a nod to, and also a sense in which this is something of a do-over. Like, and they even by having the footage of him getting shot out of the car, um, by the orange fire. By the yeah, right. They're linking the two in their mind. They're saying this is the equivalent scene. Yeah, that I thought China the same Town, thing. So, yeah, but it just doesn't play like that scene did. No, it doesn't play like that scene did. And then uh, what definitely doesn't play is his associate, Larry, basically <laughs> giving a, like a less pithy, more loquacious monologue that could be summed up in, forget it, Jake, it's Chinatown. <laughs> well, I've got notes about last lines of movies, but we'll get there. Yeah, but I mean, like, like he's basically, the content is forget it, Jake, it's yeah. Chinatown, but they're almost afraid of being that pithy. Mm-hmm. So they sort of talk around it for a while, and it's much, you know, much less effective. Yeah, especially if you're comparing the two. And then Faye, they get Faye Dunaway's voice. Yeah, they do. Um, that's interesting. Uh, have yeah. we talked about that before in in other sequels, where somebody comes back just as a voice? Well, it fits with this because they're dead or they're gone or whatever. I mean, yeah, I don't know if we've seen it before. It fits with this movie where yeah, there's an extensive amount of voiceover. Um, I don't know if we've se- we've we've seen that before. Hmm. We've we get we're gonna get it soon. I'm thinking of a movie we've we've with series we started watching but have yet to co- yet to record or cover. Okay, where it happens. So it probably is a there probably is an embass in there. Yeah. Hmm. Um, and then we meet Mickey amongst, Nice, right? Uh, Ruben Blades? Yeah. I know it's Blood as he calls himself Blades. I'm choosing to call him what he calls himself. <laughs> Sorry, just a little disclaimer there for the people who are going to get offended by me saying Blades. There you go. Um, yeah, back when Hollywood didn't distinguish between Latins. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> what he and says... What he one says, Latin's as good as another... <laughs> Well, and also there's this moment where he says, why don't you be a mensch? I thought, wait, what's what's happening here? He's hanging around with a Jewish guy. Yeah. Like, yeah I, is, is, it, is it supposed to be ambiguous ethnicity? Is he doing a... I don't know. I, I thought, I thought, are they trying to make him Jewish? 
I thought he was supposed to be Italian American. That's what I thought. But then he said Mensch. So I, yeah, he carries him. He, he seems to be presenting as Italian most of the time, but he says that the Mensch thing to Jack Nicholson, who I don't know to Mm -hmm. be Jewish, but 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 I guess because he's he's connected to Harvey Keitel, who is supposed to be Jewish. So I chalked Mm -hmm. it up to that, but it, it all made for weird stuff. And then we're sort of playing around with safes for a while. Yes. <laughs> and again, like you know, like we said, that that film noir is more meandering than most. Than most movies, right? Most old Hollywood movies are, but this feels just arbitrarily meandering. Like, mm-hmm. what are we doing here? Um, I I thought I'm that... not. A hundred percent convinced by all the blurring and spinning effects that are trying to, you know, capture the effect of concussion. Oh, maybe. I mean, I wasn't a hundred percent on that, but there were some flourishes though throughout yeah. this scene. There's a moment where Reuben Blades. I like this moment where he sort of, th- you know, I th- the camera is panning up. Hmm. No, the camera is down, facing down. Reuben mm-hmm. Blades throws a shelf down that comes down into focus into the camera. Yeah. And from below it, you hear Jack Nicholson go, you know, bump and ah! Yeah. But there's a mirror on top of the shelf, so you also yes. get Blades' face looking back up at. Yeah. There's a lot of... Um, I like I that. Mean, you know, obviously a movie called The Two Jakes, there's going to be a lot of duality and mm-hmm. we noticed this, that was one of the things that sequels do sometimes. They have this kind of dualism. Sure. Because it's like the, the you know, there are two, there are two movies. Um, and here, you know, there's a lot of characters being reflected in mirrors. Two different versions of the same person. Mm-hmm. You know, both, both Catherine and her, her alter ego. Uh, there's, two characters called Jake. Mm-hmm. Everyone's, there's a sort of doppelganger for everyone. So I think all that's intentional. Yeah. Um, this is weird time-lapse passage of time effect, which makes me again think that Nicholson doesn't really understand um, how are you to talk- use. Well, are you talking about after he has sex with Madeline Stowe? To the next morning, or no, this was before. Oh, okay. This is the sort of before the like the first third or fourth time we've heard the the recording. The recording, okay. Um, again, the conversation which Frederick Forrest, who is in this movie, is also in. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> uh, before another one of Madeline Stowe's outbursts, mm. which of course lend, lends to more violent sexual abuse. Yeah, um, that was a very odd scene. It's you know what it's what I remember most prominently from every viewing of this film is really? never being able to figure out the tone of the scene. Oh, it's like they're, they're trying to be erotic and comedic at the same time. There's yeah. an underlying sadomasochism to everything. Yeah, which you don't know if it's if that's being acknowledged. Or There's it's a just, moment where he smells his fingers. Direct, direct his oh, disgusting. Yeah, <laughs> I was like, um, what the. F- Fuck. And I don't like 
like it's it reads unsexy to me, but I'm not sure the film thinks the same. Like I don't I don't know if the film is trying to make it unsexy. Yeah. Also, I mean, so here's the interesting thing. Like we've mentioned before that Nicholson's really good in stepping back into the shoes of yeah. Jake Giddis and not letting what has happened to him as an actor since color uh, how he plays the character. But physically, he's changed a lot. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, <laughs> And he's it's like in his mind, it's 1974 because he's playing Jake Giddis. Right. But sometimes he just looks off the pace mm-hmm. and a little ungainly, whereas back in 74, it would, it would be like smooth movement. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And he wouldn't look out of step with the pace of the scene. But there's some moments in here, and this is one of them, where you're sort of, you're feeling his his age his bumbling his new his new physicality yeah it's just yeah. a little bit ungainly yeah um and this scene and that just adds to the discomfort of this scene yeah I think. but well but he, still has feels... that rest- he still has that restraint right it's like that's in, the thing well following so, it. but here's the thing that i you know that i wrestled with with that particular scene was because one of the things i mar- I, I i really enjoyed watching in nicholson's performance was and he kind of references it i think that i think this character takes pride in how good he is at his job mm-hmm. and yes yeah. referenced several so times saying them in the, the movies the best, the best there is yeah i'm best in the business yeah and what seems, and he's also, you know, he seems to be in love with this woman and he wants to get married, but through one misunderstanding or one yeah. mistake after another, he's not going home like he should because he's on the case. And then he does this terrible thing, which seems to be out of whack with yeah. the honesty with which he seems to purport for the rest of his job that yeah. didn't jive for me too well and it made you know it made me and maybe maybe it's the it's the you know it seemed like something he felt like a character like his should have to do as opposed to something his character would actually do or just me or what i I mean did you have any sense of that as well or i 100 percent agree okay and I'd, i'd add to that by saying that i think it's also a moment where where the sort of Nicholson persona kind of... Yeah, right. The pervy old man mm-hmm. that he will... You know, that that's a new persona that he's building and that's sort of interrupting the Jake Giddis here. Maybe. And then in the next scene, it's he's the most Jake Giddis he is in the entire movie. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> right. And so it's it really is, you know, it really is just that. I put it under PI stuff. Yeah, well, it's just you know the the way the way he handles the office scenes. Yeah, and you can see that that he's made the transition. Um, really, really well. And total completely seems like the same character, which is a really hard thing to do. So many years you know, later, even in, yeah, even in a, even in a sequel, even in a sequel that's relatively close in time to the one you just made, it's hard. So. Mm-hmm doing it when you've changed as an actor since must be even harder right so uh where i'm at the tar pits <laughs> you're at the what the tar pits the la brea tar pits uh-huh. 
Um, here's, here's, a, here's a moment that struck me. The line, what the hell's Chuck Nilty doing here? And my question was, you know, we've seen him once. Right. I could just as easily ask, who, who, who is he? Yes, right. <laughs> I mean, he's Frederick Swerve's character and he's a lawyer. But, you know, it's sort of like, as if you're supposed to remember. Yeah. Because <laughs> um, it seemed very important in the moment. It did, did. Yeah, exactly. It didn't really become very important. I love how they get in all that sort of mid-century LA nostalgia, like seeing the tar pits as yeah. as they would have been in the for, for, like the late forties. Going, oh, I really would have wanted to go there when it was like that. Yeah, um, if it was ever like that. And you can hear the old radio commercials, and you get the some old radio commercials, radio the old oil rigs. I mean, you could still see oil rigs in yeah. LA, but they were more prominent in this time. And you're you can't pass a city block at that time yeah. without passing one. And this movie's got several even kind of yeah, sunset I, moments, right? Where he's definitely parking his car oh, next no, to it's one. In, it's interesting, like the sunset. But then he has that the voiceover sh- for it too. Oh yeah. Bringing, yeah, like, <laughs> directly like, saying what, what, what you're seeing on screen. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> the sunsets and the, and the blinds. Yeah, and then the op- the like the calligraphy of the opening titles. It's interesting because at the time they were doing all that to make it seem like um, the late nineteen forties. But when I look at it now, it's so much. It's like fixed in the nineteen nineties, right. early nineteen nineties. Like that kind of fat lettering. Yeah, like the sunsets, the blinds. It's like that's what I associate with movies of this period. But their aim is to associate it with movies of an earlier of an earlier time, right? Was was post war America so segregated that even in salons they they had rooms for blondes and redheads separately? Yeah, I don't know. And and just one person per room. How many rooms do they have? Yeah, it's like what's the business model here, guys? Wait, is that scene? But. Is that scene after he meets Raleigh? After he meet, re, meets Farnsworth? The hair? No. No. Before. Okay. He see he sees him through binoculars, and then there's a then there's other stuff, and then it goes back to then he meets him mm. later on, and in between we get the Angora. Yeah, that's clue, right. Oh, you're right. Yeah. Which makes me think of Ed Wood and how important Angora is as a substance in that movie. But too. when he when he sees Meg Tilly. Yeah. He has not yet figured it out. No. Right. No. Okay. And that's why they that's why they put it uh, presumably why they put it there because she's got the face mask on and her hair is being yeah. recolored. Yeah. But we so, also get kind of he kind of has the same scene with her that he has with her husband in Kaitel. Yeah. In the sense of you're going to do this or I'm going to prove this. Her, with he, with her he makes a deal. You're going to tell me what I want to know if I prove that your yeah. husband did do it on purpose. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, we could we we could get by with one of those scenes. Right. Yeah. And maybe this movie could maybe this movie would make make it under two hours. Yeah. Because uh, this movie feels <laughs> at least twenty to twenty five minutes too long. Oh, at least yeah. Yeah. And then this is where they go back to the archive guy. They give him a different ailment. It's not acne this time. It's his teeth. His jaw. Jaw. Yeah. And I would have loved it if it just left it at that. I just, I, I like the idea that whenever he goes to the archive, it's the same guy, mm-hmm. and each time he has a different physical problem. Problem, 
but they again they're working like that's enough that 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 will that's kind of your fan service right but then they have to sort of link it back into the storyline and he's involved in sure. this implausibly as he was involved in the original one in original film in the 30s tangentially as well right um so they work too hard to make him count because it's enough this idea that like because I like the I like even like the idea that Jake doesn't notice this. You're right. Way. You're right. There's it so would have been great if it was just unexplained. Yeah. Um. It it's sort of world like because I, I I then it's like world building as opposed to trying to wrap everything up. Yeah. Into the same plot. Um. I don't want to grant explain, but. The picture, the photograph they have of her with Cary Grant, that's 50s, maybe 60s Cary Grant. That man did not look like that in 1948. <laughs> that's an older Cary Grant than 1948. <laughs> and the, yeah, this is here where we get, you know, Farnsworth. And whip stocking. I love the smell of sulfur. Yeah. Um, and this scene must have taken a long time to film because... The sun goes down between the shot and the reverse shot. Yeah. <laughs> At one point, they cut back to Farnsworth, and it's yeah. night. And I'm like, "Whoa, what's this? What's going on?" And it re- again, it reminded me of Ed Wood, and you know, he's making Plan Nine from Outer Space, right. and the and the religious guys are saying, "Do you know anything about filmmaking? It was daytime when he arrived, and now it's night." <laughs> so that's a you know that's a little mark against uh, Jack Nicholson. In general, he's not very good at, at, at visual time, like passage of time and things like that. It's a little yeah, ropey right, that. right. Um, and, you know, what? Like Farnsworth's dialogue is interesting in terms of this being a sequel because everything he's saying shows that it's like history repeating itself. Yeah, exactly. He's the robber baron. Yeah, but it, it's... Of oil that the water guys yeah. were... But it's now it's a different scam. Yeah. So that's interesting. I mean, that is that's that's what sequels are very much is like they they're they're do overs, but also like do overs that change some element. Mm-hmm. Um. Should we talk about the uh, the green parrot? <laughs> Both the club and the parrot, if you like. <laughs> I was going to talk about the club. Okay. <laughs> I, I was I thought So there's a couple of moments in in in, in this movie where I thought that, that yeah, they're definitely more on the progressive side than the original Chinatown was. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of racism in the in the original Chinatown. Yeah. Um and they they answer a lot of that in the scene with James Hong where he and Jake are sort of communicating as equals. Yes. And, you know, the, all the sort of Asian characters in the original Chinatown are seen as subservient. So, yeah, right. Or caricatured. And here, they, even though he's nothing like the Khan that we met in right. Chinatown, yes. that's kind of a good thing because they give James Hong like a real person to, to, to fill out. Yeah. But it's not the same person. I mean, that's the, that's the problem mm-hmm. there. And there's a similar thing going on here where, not that I remember much homophobia from the original film, but um, this feels like it's just kind of trying to normalize gay bars. Yeah, and it, well. Uh, to an extent. 
I mean, by the time the cops show up, it just feels like it, it was all for a button about what he's yeah, could well, it's be weird. There's a button for. at the beginning. No, it's, well, it can't be a button at the beginning, but there's like <laughs> there's like a mildly homophobic bit at the beginning where the 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 coat check girl calls the hat check girl calls him honey and yeah. he takes offense. And then when he gets into the bar, he looks absolutely fine and comfortable. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> and you're just sort of like, oh, that's great, you know, like like especially like movies, uh, like old film noir movies. They used to really demonize gay people, so. For a scene like this to be in a noir movie, it's a good like it's a good thing. It's a progressive thing. Mm-hmm. But you're right. It, then it goes out on the button. Yeah. Uh, and then the, and then it, which is repeated in the courtroom. Right. Scene. Um, and then we have a parrot making stereotypical gay noises. Gay noises. Um, well, and we've got. So it's a mixed bag. It's a mixed <laughs> bag. It's a mixed bag, and then on top of that. You know, this can be this can be fun and good or detrimental, I think, to a noir, where, you know, a detective noir, where it always mm. feels like the detec- detective is in uh, just above water above his head. Like just, you know, yeah, yeah, always kind of almost drowning, but always seems mm-hmm. to find mm-hmm. a way out of it. Yeah. But with Nicholson's performance, the one thing I always wonder about is he never seems worried no. Well, that was his... I mean, if you go back to the original Chinatown, that was his twist. Like, that was what... That was kind of what Nicholson and the character brought to the the, yeah. the archetype. Because, you know, the best scene... Well, the best scenes in that movie is, like, telling a racist joke. A racist and sexist joke with Faye Dunaway. Like, there's no idea Faye Dunaway is behind him. Yeah, um, right, his right. His associates keep trying to tell him, and he's so, so oblivious, he has to get through the joke. Yeah. Um, and that, that, I so that, I think that's part of his character, is that, that he's he's somewhat oblivious to the trouble surrounding him. Yeah, because they've got him surrounded in the red hall of the room, and it really looks like, mm-hmm. you know, Ruin Blades is finally going to get what he wants, and of course the cops show up. <laughs> that's another... Yeah deflated balloon and he gets out yeah Salah's children arrive there you go um, <laughs> and then I mean something that that I had did not remember from this film uncredited Tom Waits yes me too I thought the same thing and I mean I can't think of a more perfect cameo for this film given how much this period informs yeah. his music so right. much yeah but He's not he's not credited and I don't remember him being in Yeah, the me either. Uh why don't we take another break? Sure, yeah. Well then we'll come yeah. back and we'll finish up with the two Jakes. Sounds good. All right. With both of them. There you go. One Jake, two Jake. Hey, we're both named Jake. Imagine that, we're two Jakes. I like to think I know something about beer, but nowadays even I get overwhelmed when confronted by the exhaustive selection of craft beers they have at bars, breweries, and even grocery stores. Back in the day you had one, maybe two craft beers to choose from, and if you were confused, you ordered a Guinness. 
But in destinations like San Diego, the craft beer options lately are in double, sometimes even triple digits. So what's a beer drinker to do? You need what I need, the Vegas Beer Guys. Your beer of choice should be a perfect blend of malt and hops. And so a live show about beer needs that same balance. And the Vegas Beer Guys matches beer expert Dan Aker with self-proclaimed beer novice Stephen J. Weiss. The results are eminently drinkable. They're on Facebook. They're on Instagram. They'll try new beers. They'll tell you about beers. Think of them as your beer sherpas guiding you up a foamy-headed mountain to reach the peak of your pint. God, I need a beer. And we're back, ladies and gentlemen. Tom and I are here discussing and finishing up with The Two Jakes, the 1990 film or sequel directed by Jack Nicholson. All right. Where were we? The cops came and saved his ass, right? They saved his ass and then he gets into a fight with the detective. Oh, yeah. So that's the thing is that particular scene escalated to such a level that I don't know that the movie earned it, you know? Yeah, it's this movie's full of those, like these kind of these big melodramatic action moments. Yeah. That sort of come out of left field. Mm hmm. And string the movie together. The one thing I did like was, uh, and I just forgot his name. What's the, the the detective, the guy in charge, the captain? Uh, Lou Escobar. Escobar. Mm-hmm. I love, what I did like is Escobar acted completely responsibly in the moment. Mm-hmm. Suspended his cop immediately for 30 days and sent Guinness to jail. Yeah. You know? Mm-hmm. I like that. I was, I was like, okay, well, <laughs> some good police work. Yeah, at least we've got happening what should be happening. Well, he certainly shouldn't be sticking a gun in a cop's mouth and saying "suck it." Yeah, no, for various reasons. Surprised he was allowed to. Right. And then uh, after that, we get into the golf game. Yes. Someone was taking notes while watching Goldfinger. <laughs> Just straight up borrowed a set piece. Uh. Um, and this is where we find out Harvey Keitel is potentially sick or dying. We do, but I also... Because he, because he, he fails to complete his one-legged golfer routine. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Which is a strange way for that information to come to, out. To come out. And I also thought, in a noir kind of way, because there's earlier on, his partner says, come on, you're a seven handicap. You got a good life. What do you got to do this for? Go back to this with this case again. And he says, I'm a six handicap. But he tells Kaitel he was like an eight or a nine. I thought golf was going to like oh, yeah. do something for him. You right. Know? There's a lot of golf I, up top. And yeah, I thought I it also... was going to help him win, you know, get some information or something that he wanted to get from Kaitel or something. But also the way that he, he said he just got threatened. 
You're right. But in, like in the opening scene when he talks about golf, it sounds like he's bullshitting to try and get out of the meeting. Yeah. Like I had no sense that he was actually going to play golf after that. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I guess the movie's telling us that he does, and he is a member of the country club. Yes, right. Because it just sounds like bullshit. Maybe it's just the Nicholson thing of most of what comes out of his mouth sounds like bullshit, but... Yeah. Um, yeah, it's it's, it's interesting. Um, and he steals his, his medical record from mm-hmm. a house that is rich enough to have a TV set in 1948. Right. Um, <laughs> so we get to see a little bit of TV, which is not technically an anachronism, but <laughs> home sets were still rare. Um, and then Jake's girlfriend catches him with with Kitty, Kitty Berman, who is revealed to be Catherine Mulvey, yeah. mid scene. And so, and her showing up. So we know why they're being cagey about Meg Tilly, but we don't know why they're being cagey yeah, about right. her girlfriend. Yeah. Um, it's a good scene. It is. Yeah, I like, I like I like the way I like how he just sort of breaks down. I like he how he and I like his framing of it, and I like that he just mm-hmm. lets it sit and lets yeah lets us get to watch him. Yeah. Uh, and then after that, we get a <laughs> mandatory early '90s courtroom scene. You really couldn't make a Hollywood movie without <laughs> going there at some point. Absolutely. Um. And the stress again, like I guess with the, the you know, with the television, with the radio, the wire recording, mm-hmm. the, the judge says, "Now we're all a little new to this technology." So yeah. let's take, let's take, so they're stressing that we're on the cusp of a new wave of uh, how recording private of, detective like, work is going to yeah. work. You know, yeah, re- re- recording based technologies, I suppose, or yeah. audio technologies, audio visual technologies. Um, that's, I actually like that happens. moment, though. I really did. I, you know, that stuck out to me. Yeah, the judge saying that. Mm-hmm. Definitely. Uh, well, it's a I like this. You know, the, the there's a uh, the movie makes room for sort of history. Yeah, uh, it does. Yeah, in a way that really works. It's kind of almost the most interesting thing about it. Mm-hmm. I don't think that was their intention, but uh, I, it's it's a it's a nice dimension. Yeah. The the period the, the the period detail, and the commentary on what's going on at the time. Mm-hmm. Um. And after that, we get the Kaitel scene, which what is a... the only reason we need someone of his gravitas playing yeah. this role. <laughs> Otherwise, it's a pretty basic kind of part for someone like Kaitel to play. Right. But, you know, I kept asking myself throughout the movie why Kaitel was in it. Mm, yeah, right. And then I read about how the studio didn't want him and Nicholson kept saying, nobody's taking you out of this fucking movie. Yeah. You're staying in the movie. And then when I got to the final scene, I thought, well... Yeah. That's why he hired Kaitel, you know. Yeah. And I, I, you know, it 
his acting in that scene, I think, is some of the best acting he's ever done. I thought it was so good. Yeah, absolutely. It's really excellent, and I, I like the moment where he where he puts his arm around Jake. Mm-hmm. There's some good sort of homosocial bonding yeah. um, on a physical level, which is sort of nice. Again, cuts through that sort of homophobia. Um, and, you know, bridges the gap between the two men. Yeah. Um, the problem, I think, with the scene, again, is down to storytelling. It's like there's more twists in this final scene than, than in the final scene of Clue. It's just like <laughs> inelegantly yeah, unraveled, slapped, rushed through. Mm-hmm. And I, I, I disagree with their, their narrative choices here. It makes way more sense if Kitty's in on the murder scheme. You yeah. have to do way more explanation to, to make her an innocent bystander. Right. And then, you know, we cover all that very, very quickly. I mean, you know, Omen 4... The awakening style level, <laughs> and then we've got the oil twist. Yeah, which is sort of like, it's just sort of like, you know, they 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 go overboard in trying to make this all one scene, right? Because it feels like three separate scenes that they crammed into one. Well, and it leaves me wondering, how long is that whip stocking drill? That guy's on the fucking coast. <laughs> like, like, you're telling me he's been drilling underneath. I mean, for how long? And what? You know, it doesn't make and, a, and, a lot, a lick of narrative sense to me. And it was, you know, when when we get, it was such a, I was such a strong moment when we got the earthquake because it's like pure pathetic fallacy. Like he's, you know, Kaitel is this broken man. Right, and then there's this earthquake around him, and it's kind of his emotions calling but, out. And then you realize it's like a it's a narrative device to get to the oil mm-hmm. reveal, and it's sort of like oh, that's it's not as effective <laughs> if you're trying to fold it into the plot. Like it, it, it works just as a you know, like a, a piece of emotional storytelling. Yeah. Um. And it leads but to we're already I mean, and it leads to another explosion because well. it leads it's yeah it leads break. to another explosion and we're already at you know two hours and fifteen yeah. minutes and we got four minutes left so we like you know it's like Nicholson thought all right we really got it let's go come on come on yeah come on, come really on, come on. I mean absolutely it feels like again it feels like the end of Clue it's like high speeds how many reveals can we cram into this one yeah. scene um. And then we get after Kaitel blows himself up. Yeah. Um, it's Catherine and Jake again, and again you get that slightly uncomfortable feeling that the two of them are going to get it on. Right. Um, you kind of feel like. And you feel like the movie might. Jack Nicholson's character and Jack Nicholson, the actor's persona, are fighting each other in that moment. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You know, and and it's it's a tightrope because you're like, <laughs> yeah, I, I feel like I feel like this is gonna happen, and I don't know if the movie is gonna stop it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but they do. But they do. So. But they do because obviously, you know, there's so many reasons why these two shouldn't be getting together. Right. You know. He dated her mother, the age difference, etc. Um, 
And I appreciate him rejecting her, but it feels disingenuous that it, it would be... That he would be the one fighting her off in a clinch. <laughs> right. <laughs> that does seem like an, uh, like an Asian yeah. man's fantasy of how that, that scene would go down. Mm-hmm. I think it would be more like him stepping towards her and she'd say, don't even think about it. Yes, right. right. <laughs> Dated my mother, you sicko. Asshole. Um, and then I don't really know what they're going for with this final moment. Line? I know what it, I feel like I know what it's alluding to, but I don't understand what it's trying to say. What do you think about it? I mean, all I, you know, the, the first thing I wrote down is she asks, does it ever go away? He asks what the past she leaves the room. He bursts out of the room and says, yeah, it never goes away. And I wrote down, that's no forget it, Jake. It's Chinatown. He should have said, uh, for, forget it, Catherine. It's the La Brea Tarpet. Yeah, right. <laughs> well, I think they're going for something like the end of the Maltese Falcon. Mm. With, like, with the uh, Humphrey Bogart coming out on, like, with the holding the Falcon and coming out. And there's, like, a staircase shop. And it's very, it's very wistful and melancholy and full of regret. But It's here, funny I, I because don't... it's also... Maybe because it's the end of the film, but aside from that slap down of the sort of shelf and this upward looking shot through the bars of Jack yeah. Nicholson, there aren't a lot of flourishes directorially. Right. You know, it's all pretty yeoman like mm-hmm. work. So it's interesting that he ends the movie on it like. I yeah. don't know, you know, a nice signature like Jack Nicholson. Yeah, I think I, I, <laughs> I think that's as good an explanation as to as to why it's shot that way. Yeah. Um, and I think probably they're probably uh, you know haunted by the memory of of having one of the best last lines in cinema. In cinema, yeah, for sure. And just and just sort of like just sort of writing around that and sort of trying to make the last moment big without the line itself being anything to write home about. Yeah, that's the thing is they they seem to be trying to make the moment bigger than it is. Yeah. I think. Um, right, I, yeah. Uh, and I guess, I suppose, it, well, you've got to also think about, you know, if they, if, if they were doing it thinking that it would be another film in this trilogy, maybe... This is just the end of a chapter. Yeah, you know? that's true. You're right. Um, but I wonder if they knew by that point that it wasn't going to be a possibility. I don't think... Mm, I'm not sure. No, I'm not sure either. I assume they didn't know until box office until reports came, came back. Yeah. <laughs> Let me open this paper, see what's in here today about my movie. <laughs> How many um, <laughs> people went and saw the movie? Oh. <laughs> well, that's horseshit. <laughs> um, can't eat the Venetian blinds, Curly. I only had them installed on Wednesday. <laughs> that's, always, that's always the way I get into Nicholson. There you go. <laughs> also, Chinatown has one of the great opening lines in. Gotta find a hook. Never mind the 
What a great opening line that is. <laughs> um, that's it. I'm done. Yeah. Amazingly. Uh, you know, I, I feel like as we've been talking about this movie, we've been talking about the myriad of problems that crop up in the yeah. movie. But for me, I still want to reiterate, this is a, a it's a pretty easy watch. It can be frustrating at times. It's too long, but it's, you know, I guess in my head I was coming in thinking that this was supposed to be a real mess of a movie, and it's not Mm -hmm. that. No. Yeah. No, I I agree. I think it's it's an enjoyable viewing experience. Um, The best one I've had with this movie, Mm -hmm. I think. It just isn't Chinatown. But <laughs> forget it, forget it, Jake. It's not Chinatown. Yeah, exactly. That's what they should have called this movie. Forget <laughs> it, Jake. It's not Chinatown. <laughs> also, did you notice um, that at the very beginning? I don't know why I'm going all the way back to the beginning of the movie. They put um, the two Jakes, the title in scare quotes. Yeah, I'm really confused that you'd think it was. A way of crediting two people. What would? What was, it seems like, like that's what they wanted to do. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. We've got two Jakes in this movie. Yeah, yeah. It's it's, and I was I really wasn't looking forward to it because, like, Graffiti Bridge is exactly ninety minutes, and this is over two hours. Yeah, right. Exactly. And, yeah. And pre previous, you know, I had previous viewings where I didn't really get on with it, but. Once I settled in, you know, it's like, once I settled into it, mm-hmm. it was very, it was a very enjoyable viewing experience. Yeah, for me too. And, um, I'm willing to give it the benefit of the doubt. Well, credit check. Yeah. Special effects unlimited. <laughs> <laughs> now, this is a company I imagine got a lot of new work. Sure. But with that kind of false advertising, I'm not really sure how re- much repeat work they would get off that. People realize that, that it is limited. It's limited to what you can do with special effects. But the opposite problem is music editing by Segway Music. You can't just name your company after the product you provide. What's your USP, guys? It's like, yeah, that's what you that's what you do. Music editing is making Segway music. I can't <laughs> name the company after that. Um, period golf balls supplied by. <laughs> oh my goodness, I did not see that credit. That's fantastic. Um, now this is uh, this is a new category, um, well, a subcategory within the credit check that okay. I want to introduce because we've seen two of them. You sound like uh, Stephen. You sound like Stephen Colbert now. I did. Sub-segment of his regular segments. Um, I'm going to call it a unicredit. All right. Like a, the kind of the Google whack of credits. <laughs> like you, you're the, the only one of them ever exist. Because we had in Three Men and a Little Lady, we had Mr. Danson's old vicar makeup. Bag, right, yeah. Which is even more of a unicredit than this. But I don't think you're going to find period golf balls supplied by... Ever again. (laughs) What's also remarkable about this credit is that two people are credited. So they clearly didn't get enough balls from one source. (laughs) Maybe they work together. Well, I just love the idea of like, oh, God, it's like, how many period golf balls we got? Two. 
How many we need for the scene? Three. <laughs> Can we go back to this guy? No, he said it's all he has. Well, call this other guy. He <laughs> might be able to make one. <laughs> you know, I'm sort of like, I'm doing a bit, but... <laughs> this got to be how it went in real life. <laughs> like, I can totally imagine that situation behind the scenes. If like, I showed like, you this golf ball that we've already had made, could you make another one just like it? Yeah, I could do that. Is is there any... Uh, Jack, is there any way you could reshoot the scene so there's not quite so many balls on screen at once? <laughs> do you have to have close-ups? Yeah. <laughs> Also, I don't remember any close-ups. As far as no, I can say, yeah. it could be like a fucking, like a like an electronic ball. As far as like it could be, ball with a fucking aerial coming out of it. Cop with parrot. <laughs> this is the this actor has something very niche to put on his resume. Yeah. The only problem is I can't imagine there's much work in that niche. You might have found um, the one role. That's true. Yeah. And but that means if it ever comes up again, you're the fucking guy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Next time I need a cop with a parrot, you do the first You're first my time. guy, you understand me? <laughs> That's the other guy. Yeah. <laughs> you're my guy. <laughs> That's uh That's Nicholson doing Palance. <laughs> um I assume you're saying that for other people and not me. Yes, of course, <laughs> as always. I I labor I labor <laughs> under the illusion that people are listening to our podcast. <laughs> um. Finally, when I watched this on Amazon Prime, my up next was The Big Lebowski. Nice. Which makes total sense because uh, it's another 90s neo-noir that features the song Tumbling Tumbleweeds. Yes, I thought the same thing when that song played. I thought, wow, it's weird not to hear a version that's <laughs> in Big Lebowski. Yeah, it's sort of like, maybe, yeah, and edit to be a Jack Nicholson voiceover instead of a Sam Elliott voiceover. Yes. There you go. That's my final credit check. Good stuff. That was that was great. That was a great one. <laughs> Golf ball. The two Jakes. It's at the top. It's at the top of our rankings when it comes to the end credits. <laughs> That's great. Good the part stuff. Is not in the actual film. No, but go back to it. Give it. Give it another chance. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, this isn't a set the world on fire movie, but this is a. No. It's ironic, given how much fire yes, there is. Yes, right. Yes. How many explosions there are. But, uh, it's, uh, you know, I think there's a narrative out about this movie that, that kind of, mm-hmm. I think the narrative about this movie is more akin to Godfather 3, a movie from the same year. Well, certainly when it comes to lead performances. Yeah. And, uh... You know, it's funny because... It's also, also arguably a better Eli Wallach performance. In this yeah. <laughs> but it's funny because if that's for all thing. the shit that Godfather 3 got, it still made a I ton know. of money, nominated for Best Picture, nomina- all the nominations came in, mm-hmm. and it just wasn't there for this movie. I don't know. That's, a, that's yeah. kind of an interesting thought to me. This movie feels yeah, like I, it's relegated I, to the forgotten pile. 
I wonder if you look if you if you kind of look through the the prism of what Nicholson went on to do next, and there's mm. so few kind of restrained performances yeah. in the in the movies that he you know it's like about Schmidt is the one that stands out to me is where he's you know it's a full it's a full on character performance yeah. with nuance and and uh, restraint. And this is one of those. So you know, if you used to, if you used to Big Jack, right? Yes, coming in and like, you know, um, dive bombing your movie, like the Devil and The Departed, um, the Devil and Witches of Eastwick. <laughs> yeah, kind of a performance. It's a remind. It's a it's a reminder of his um, of his range. Mm-hmm. I think. Absolutely, and the fact that he pulls it off after just a year after playing the Joker while directing himself is pretty remarkable. Yeah, agree. And you're gonna have to tell us what you think about all of this, ladies and gentlemen. Watch the two Jakes and tell us uh, your feelings and your thoughts. Find us on Facebook, on Amazon Prime, as of this recording. I watched it on Paramount Plus. Yeah, I've never, I've, I've never regretted saying that. <laughs> but it's available as of the time. That never goes. No, that never, never, that never that. counts against us. <laughs> All right. Find us on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter. Send us an email to everythingsequel at gmail.com. For Tom Stewart of Lonesome Bustle Productions, Michael Schantz here of the How Dare You Awards. When you hear us next time, we're going to be talking about. <laughs> Why are you laughing? I don't know. It just kind of struck me as funny. It's time. Is this is this the first cartoon we've ever done? Oh, yeah, I think so. Right? I think it is. Yeah. Too. Sorry, animated film. We're going down under. It's the rescuers down under coming up next. Stay tuned for that. Say goodbye to everybody, Tom. I knew a whore once. For the right amount of money, she'd piss in a guy's face, but she wouldn't shit on his chest. See, that's where she drew the line. <laughs> once or twice yep. in this movie, there's dialogue that matches the original Chinatown. It's Chinatown. It's in the zone, and that's one of those instances. Yeah. All right. On that note, so long, everyone. <laughs>